you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth on wednesdays at 4 p.m eastern time i go live on facebook to share my design tips to answer your questions to talk about what's going on in my world. Well, I not only share it on Facebook, now I'm going to be sharing it on my podcast. So today you will be hearing a recording of my most recent Facebook Live. Enjoy. Hi guys, it's so good to be back with you and I'm in a rather unusual location. Today I am in my home office because my son had his end of year school field trip today. So I've been hiking through the woods of New York, in the lower Hudson Valley. And then instead of going back to the office, I came home because later today the handyman is coming. These are joyful times when the handyman comes because he builds things, he repairs things. The kids, and by the kids I mean my husband, broke our front window this Memorial Day weekend playing baseball with the kids on the very first pitch. So my oldest kid, my husband, uh, shattered our window. Handyman's going to fix that. So I line up all these projects, and the key to being a homeowner is to have an amazing handyman. Check. But I wanted to lead today because you're probably saying, Betsy, what is behind you on that wall? I thought you were an interior designer. I wanted to lead today with a conundrum that I'm having and revealing something to you. And maybe part of what I share will help illuminate your own interior design journeys wherever you might be in that process. But I have a home office and it's just my personal office. I don't typically do Facebook lives here. I never see clients here. Even my employees don't come here. It's just my secret, special, wonderful place. And it truly is wonderful. It has panoramic views of the Hudson on this side and it's long and it's it's very removed from the house, so I really feel like I'm in my own bubble. And I love to surround myself with things that I love and that were really meaningful for me. And unlike my storefront in Dobbs Ferry on Main Street, I can kind of keep this personal. It doesn't have to be a place that I show off. It doesn't have to appeal to everyone's taste. It just has to be something that inspires me. So when you live in New York City, you live very minimally. You don't have a lot of stuff, which means if you're like me, that if you move here, I moved here right out of college. The day I graduated, I moved 
from uh, the Midwest right to New York City. And I left most of those special mementos, yearbooks, anything that felt really um, essential but wasn't actually essential. Things I liked that I didn't want to get rid of. Well, all that stuff went in my mom's basement. And now that I have my own home, little by little, she's digging that stuff up and she's saying, Betsy, you take this stuff back or I'm going to get rid of it. And so all these things that used to feel essential that felt so important, I can never get rid of these items, are coming back into my life. And I thought, well, what better place to put them than in my office where it's like my woman cave. I can just be me and be surrounded with things I love and not have to explain it to anyone. But I put these things up. So in other words, the photos behind me, you can't tell because they were laminated back in the 90s. The photos behind me are French posters of French heartthrobs who are um, in various stages of looking sexy. And I found these when I was in France and I was hiking through the woods and we came upon a dilapidated house that had been totally abandoned and inside were so many interesting things, among them the 70s Tiger Beat type magazines. And I thought they were just the most exciting thing. Um, they felt retro. They felt edgy. It was weird. It was in French. So I brought it back. I laminated my favorite pullout posters and I put them in my dorm room all over the room. I thought this was super cool at the time. And when people would come in my dorm room, they'd be like, wow. And I had flower power and I had a knit quilt and my room had an awesome style, a style that I still kind of associate with myself today in terms of enjoying retro, enjoying patterns and things from the 60s and from the 70s. But I put them up in my special woman cave and they don't feel special at all. Instead, when people come over, it's kind of cringeworthy. These things that meant so much to me that have this memory of being in this abandoned house and, and hunting through with my friends and finding these gems and finding shirts and all this stuff that we took out and kept as treasures, none of it feels very special anymore and it doesn't resonate with who I am and it doesn't even really bring back a ton of nostalgia. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way about your style. If maybe a style that you used to almost define yourself by no longer fits. I used to shop at vintage stores. I used to only wear secondhand clothes that were from three decades prior. I loved polyester. I loved bright colors. And I don't even recognize that person anymore. When I go into a thrift store, I get excited to look at those things, but the idea of actually purchasing and wearing them makes me feel uh, scratchy. <laughs> they were scratchy. And it's just not where I'm at. And as a designer who is inspired by other people's tastes, in other words, my clients submit a dossier to me telling me what they like, showing me pictures that they like, and then I bend to what their preferences are, I have truly forgotten what my preferences are. I've been in my home for three years. When I moved in, I said, this is my special space. I'm going to decorate how I've always wanted to decorate it. I used mid-century modern pieces. I bought some vintage pieces. I used curtains that are every color in the rainbow. I made sure to really go there. And now I'm looking at this room and I'm like, is this me? Is this still who I am? 
And I don't really know who I am in terms of my personal style anymore. That's what I've come to because I said, Betsy, this isn't happening, but not at least now. But I said, Betsy, if you could redesign this entire space tomorrow, if somebody gave you $50,000 and said, take everything out of your house, start again, what would that look like? And it would look very different than what I have now. And it certainly wouldn't look anything like this. And all of that is legitimate and interesting, but I don't know who I am as a designer anymore. I know who I am as your designer because I'll just follow your lead. I'll bring your vision to life. But my vision feels a little more elusive. And I thought this would be a great way to share that with you today. All right, so enough about me. Enough about my uh, existential crisis in terms of design style. Let's get to your questions because amazing questions have come in this week and I can't wait to dive in. So my first question came from Tanae and she wrote, Betsy, you have no idea how helpful your podcast has been for me. I found it a few weeks ago and have listened to many but not all of your available episodes. So I apologize if these are repeat questions. Next month, I'm making a big move from the South to New York City to start law school. I will be renting a 900-square-foot, one-bedroom garden apartment of a brownstone. The apartment is quite long and narrow, with a window on one side of the living space and a balcony door and window in the bedroom. The bedroom has no natural lighting. My style is largely Scandinavian with pops of color through elements of Bohemian and Moroccan influences. I want white walls, a gray sofa, and then my three colors will likely be blue, red, and yellow. Yellow as the 10% in the living and dining, 60% red, and 30% blue in the living, then reversing that in the dining. But I wanted to ask your advice on the following. The apartment is slightly below sidewalk level, and it gets some, but not tons of light. What Benjamin Moore shade of white do you recommend for the walls? I'm confused. I've read about warm and cool whites, but sometimes I see the same shade listed differently on graphics and on Pinterest. For example, one listed on Benjamin Moore's simply white as warm, whereas another mentioned that was a cool color. Also, what types of light bulbs are best for low flat lights? CFLs, incandescents, or sunlight bulbs? So let me get to your first question, and then I'll get to your second question today. So the first question is what kind of white paint would be best for your garden level brownstone apartment? And I'm gonna tell you no color white would be a good fit for your garden level brownstone apartment. And the reason is because white, that true white, whether it's simply white, which I often use for trims and cabinetry, or whether it is china white, white is a color that is best for modern spaces, very modern spaces, a converted loft, um, a newly constructed building in Williamsburg, welcome to New York, you'll get to know these neighborhoods, something that has absolutely no trim and just super flat walls in the financial district or even Tribeca, but you are living in a brownstone and brownstones tend to have been erected sometime in the 1800s, early 1900s, and that just doesn't fit the era of the home. So I would recommend that you go for a light kind of off-white or cream or a grayish or a tan, one of those. Now, because it's a garden level apartment, it's very little natural light, we're kind of going to be skewing towards that light tone, but not white, because white in a space that is not super modern, 
very, very contemporary, lots of glass, things like that. It doesn't feel clean and airy and bright. Instead, it feels like your landlord took a big old bucket of renter's white and slapped it over everything. There's no contrast with the trim and brownstones have trim. That's the era of the home. Everything looks like you just took that renter's bucket and slapped it all over, whether it's a slight gradation difference with china white, bone white, simply white. It's all the same to me. I would rather you look at something with a little bit of a hue. Now, it sounds like you do have a contemporary style, but the space you mentioned doesn't get natural light. It's garden level. It feels a little bit cavey, potentially. And so you may want to skew a touch warm. You may want to look at something like um, abalone, balboa mist. If you want to skew a touch gray, you could go for horizon, silver satin. You might want to look at sea pearl. These would all be great Benjamin Moore choices that don't feel stark white. They will have a contrast with, it, with the trim, and they'll add that little touch of something that feels more congruous with the era of the home. So that's your first question today. Let's get to the second question, which is about the lighting. I don't really care what kind of light bulbs you use. There's so many on the market right now, from those Philips Hue bulbs that you can control with your phone, to the old candescents that you now almost have to get exclusively online because they're obsolete, to the CFL bulbs, which are coming in such a range of different lumens and colors of heat in terms of blues to yellow spectrum lights. I don't really care. I mean, I avoid the blue spectrum lights uh, or even what they call like that bright white light because it tends to read a little fluorescent or cold. I'd rather get a daylight bulb or something that has a touch of warmth to it, but I don't really care as long as it's on a full range dimmer. Now, most of our lights that are plug-in will not be on a full range dimmer. It's very rare to find a lamp that can do that these days. So what you wanna do is you wanna go online to Amazon or go to your local hardware store and get a plug-in dimmer switch. That plug-in dimmer switch will allow any lamp to be on a full range dimmer. And then the key is that you get a variety of lamps around the room and you can control the amount of light and where that light is with those dimmer switches. I love my dimmer switches. I just bought another one last week at the local hardware store near me, Readers on Main Street in Dobbs Ferry. Love those guys. And it cost me $15 and has transformed my current lamp into a fully dimmable experience. So there you go. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today.
And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Let's get to your next question, which has to do with pet hair. What tips do you have for owners of hairy dogs that shed a lot? My dog's hair gets on everything. Currently, I have wall-to-wall carpeting, but my new place has hardwood floors, which I've never had before. I was thinking of getting a Swiffer. Any tips on how to keep it properly clean? Yes, my favorite way to keep it properly clean is to get a Roomba. I adore my Roomba. Now, even with hardwood floors, you're still going to have area rugs, but the exciting thing about the Roomba is it cleans both types of surfaces so well. And it is a little bit noisy, so what I do is I make sure to only put it on when I'm leaving the house. It's not noisy enough that it's going to disturb your upstairs neighbor, but it's noisy enough that you can't listen to a podcast or a Facebook Live event or a TV while you're using it. So I like to charge mine at night, and then right before I leave for my day, I plug it in, turn it on, press the button. It does its thing all around my house, and then it goes back to its dock. It finds its charging station when it's done, and I come home to a vacuumed or swept, if you're dealing exclusively with hardwood, floor. They do have a Roomba that is pet-specific. I have a dog, but he has small, wiry hair, and I just have a traditional Roomba, and it works terrifically well. But they do have that more heavy-duty model, and I would consider checking that out. And the exciting thing is that you really hardly have to lift a finger. I literally lift one finger, press the central button that says start, and forget about it for the whole day. All right, I hope that helped today. Let's see, I think there was one last part of your question. Oh, yes, yes, yes. One last part of your question, and then I'll move on to Brooke's question. So you wrote, Betsy, I have a not-so-pleasant question for you as well. This is also from today. Do you have any tips for managing pet waste in a yard? This will be my first time having a garden, and I don't know if it's best to have a bin out there, an underground dog waste enzyme septic system, or what? A million things. I must say I am not an expert in this question at all. At all. I'll tell you what I do. And then hopefully you guys will have better ideas that you will send through. What I do is I keep, oh my gosh, am I going to say this out loud? I have shared too much with you today. I'm at home and it's got me thinking about how I really live, what I really hang on my walls. And um, I'm just going to tell you that next to my front stoop, I have a little waste basket that is like a brown color and it's got a woven outside texture, but it's plastic. And I take my dog out, and luckily he goes really quickly in the yard, so I hardly have to take him for big walks. Uh, It's really wonderful. He's a chihuahua, so he doesn't need massive walks. Uh, And then I just pick up his poo, put it in the bag, the little waste bag, and drop it in that trash can. And then when the trash comes out twice a week, I just dump it in the larger trash bag, and it goes out. Now, is this the best system? Well, I know it's not because that poo tends to bake in the trash can in the sun. And while I don't smell it through the bags, I mean, it's not the cutest look if you were when you were walking up to my home to look far on the side behind the planter, you would see the brown trash can filled with black bags and you would guess that those are poo. In other words, I have not cracked this. (laughs) But if any of you have cracked this, 
please write me at Betsy at Affordable Interior Design or leave it on the Facebook page because I could use a little help with this question myself today. All right, I have some questions that have come on while I've been talking, so let me dive in there. And then if I can get to Brooke's question, I will. Oh, okay, okay. We have another Brooke who is asking a question here. All right, hi, Betsy. Hi, Brooke. Do you have an acceptable Formica type countertop that would be fine to use on a tight budget? Our neighborhood won't support quartz. I am looking at Formica 160 marble. Thank you. Okay, it is so funny, Brooke, that you would mention Formica today because I earlier today revealed to you my love for all things 60s and 70s. And when I was in France, so I spent several years, every summer in high school, I went to France and I stayed with a family there, a host family. And they had five daughters and we would pal around and we'd go look at abandoned buildings and we would go shopping and we would just be silly as can be because they were ages seven to 17. And I was smack dab in the middle. Well, I guess it's not totally the middle, but like 15. Maybe they were bigger than 17. Anyway, it's all a blur. When you're that age, all you know is some are younger than you and some are older than you, but there's always something to do because I was an only child and having five sisters blew my mind. So we would do a lot of interesting things. And one thing that we would do is we would go to this sort of architectural salvage slash thrift store. And they had a ton of things in Formica because while that was a little bit hot here, that retro 70s resurgence, it was definitely not hot in France. Like you could get a really good deal on all things orange, Formica, lime green at this architectural salvage yard. So I picked up so many Formica things, I can't even tell you. In fact, um, the French family would make fun of me. And they came out here recently and brought me more Formica because they know I used to love it. I didn't respond as enthusiastically inside, but externally I let them know I was very grateful for my new Formica and plastic pieces. I now never source Formica countertops for my clients. Even if they're going quite affordable, that isn't necessarily a direction we go in. It's not even a direction that I have experience um, looking at anywhere these days. Nobody has requested anything for Micah from me in, in so, so long. The one thing that I can give you some guidance on is I hate anything that looks like it's supposed to be something else. In French, they would use the word faux, right? I hate the idea that there would be faux marble. Even when I'm looking at the Corian countertops that they try and make look like marble, you can see that it's computerized. It's digitized marble. If you look at the veining, it's made up of tiny speckles. I mean, it looks like a comic book version of marble. Very few places can get that faux look to be chic. So I am worried just by the name of this Formica, Formica 160 marble, that maybe they're trying to make it be something it ain't. If you were going to do Formica, if I was going to do Formica, I am kind of intrigued. I'd love to see pictures of this, Brooke. Um, I might just try and make it look like what it is, a very sophisticated version of Formica, rather than trying to get something that looks like it's too big for its britches, if you know what I'm saying. So I hope that helped. Okay, so Zora writes me, Betsy, loved your pale oak suggestion for gray. Yes, I love it too. In fact, in all the other main areas of my home, the hallway, the living room, you will see pale oak. This is actually, I think, um, Navajo white. Okay. Uh, anyway, we used it in our living room. 
thoughts on a nice gray for the bedroom? I've used Beacon Gray and it's too blue. Yes, Beacon Gray is not gray at all. Why, it's very blue. It's bluer than most of the blues I like to recommend. So I rarely recommend it because it is quite saturated. If you're wanting a true gray and don't want it to be too dark, well, as I mentioned earlier in our broadcast, you could look at Horizon. You could look at Silver Satin. You could go a little bit deeper and look at Stonington Gray. These are true grays. Oh, I also really like Cement Gray. All of these are Benjamin Moore products, which is the line I'm most familiar with. And uh, those don't have a hint of blue in them. So go forward and paint it truly gray. All right, I have another question that has come in while we've been speaking. It is from Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. You mentioned that you have a home that is on the water. You're redoing much of it, but right now you need to repaint your bedroom. You just had to put in a new ceiling because of a leak that took you three years to find. Currently, the walls are a light blue. I don't remember the name of the color. My furniture is distressed cream. Would you recommend white walls or another light colored wall? Okay. Um, let's see here. You know how I feel about white walls if you go back and listen to the top of this podcast. And I have a feeling your lake house is not super modern. Those are kind of rare, or your water house, excuse me. Typically, it feels more like a beach bungalow or a lake house, and so you would not be a good candidate for stark white walls. That being said, you might want to do something different. You've already been there for three years, and you had a light blue. And while I do love light blue in a bedroom because it's quite tranquilizing, it really evokes a sense of calm and peace, which, of course, not only do we love while we're looking at water, but we also love while we're trying to go to sleep. So it can be a very relaxing hue. But you've already done that. Maybe you want to try something a little bit different. You could do a deeper shade of the gray that you're going to be using in the main area. So say you want that silver satin or that horizon. Well, you could use that Stonington gray in the bedroom, and that would look great with the antique white furniture. You could also consider doing an icy lavender. That could be fun, but it does read a little bit feminine. Uh, so you want to think about that in terms of a hue that is sophisticated and mature because you also don't want it to feel too childlike. You could do, again, this is a little bit controversial, but you could do a blush, uh, something that is sort of peachy rather than pinky, but definitely not orange. Um, additionally, you could think about doing, you could do a yellow, and a yellow would be quite warm and sunny. The problem with yellow is it is a feeling that, is, I'm sorry, it's a color that's associated with a feeling of energy and enlightenment. So it doesn't tend to be as restful. So if you have any problems with insomnia or not getting a good night's rest on a regular basis, yellow may energize you to the point where you may continue to have those issues. Or you could just do, you know, you know what keeps popping in my mind? It keeps popping in my mind that you should do a silver sage, a very powdery, cool silver sage. But then you know that's going against my own tip, which is not to do green in any space where you see a lot of skin, like bathrooms and bedrooms, because it casts a pallor on your skin that makes you look a little sickly, uh, like a little naked Yoda. But for some reason, I'm just feeling silver sage for you. So check out gray cashmere, and um, and I think it's going to work out. I rarely, I rarely go against my own tips, but in this case, I'm getting a psychic energy that silver sage is just what the doctor ordered. All right, guys, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. 
I hope that you have a delightful Friday. I'm going to go make some dinner. Then I'm going to work all night since I've been gone all day on a rustic field trip, hiking through the woods. That's, that's my uncombed hair. All right, guys. Well, I'm glad you joined me today. I'm glad I got a little bit personal and told you what's going on behind me. And keep your personal questions coming. I love to answer them. You can send them to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.